Phillips. This has been just total destruction. Look at this. Exclamation. Perlative, she can't come up with enough. Absolute incredible performance. Shock and awe in college basketball. UNVC makes history in Charlotte. One timeout, they don't take it. Oh, he got it! Oh, he got the it! Buzzer. And the Ramblers are moving on! He rifles it right in front of us to Abdul Rahman at midcourt. Extra pass. And it goes for the win! The three-pointer by Jordan Poole! A freshman has won it for the Wolverines! You gotta go. It's Broom. He's got great speed. Broom dribbling it off his knee. Four seconds to go. Broom. His pass deflected. Ball is loose. And that is it. The final score, Nevada wins its 28th game of the season. What a fucking game, man, down the hall. Did you just say the F word? You can't say fuck fucking fat ass. Kyle. Why the fuck not? Eric. Dude, you just said fuck again. Stanley. Fook. Kenny. What's the big deal? It doesn't hurt anybody. Fuck, 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 fuck. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposedly for-profit venture known as the Stone on Air podcast. My name is Brian Stone. What a week. What a what a loaded up with work week. What a loaded up with cool events and shows, announcements week. And I'll get to all that here in a matter of a few minutes. Thank you for finding the Stone on Air podcast, the weekly dose for March 21st. And by the Weekly Dose, March 21st, I mean the Weekly Dose, the Mar- March 22nd. I'm sorry, my week is all kinds of screwed up, as this has been a Thursday release for download the last few weeks. I guess it's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. I don't know why I run off and start adding more work to my, uh, to my schedule. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I work so hard, I'm so busy, I don't have any time. Everybody feels sorry for me. That's not what I mean to do there at all, so don't don't misconstrue that, please, um, because I do enjoy what I do. I don't do anything that I don't enjoy doing. If I didn't want to do it or didn't technically at the end of the day like doing it, then I wouldn't do it, just shy of you know winning the lottery and probably not going to work over at the beer company anymore. Um, I probably wouldn't keep doing that if I had endless funds. But outside of that, everything else I do, I do somewhat enjoy it, but adding this trivia night thing has been a... Real um, interesting life shift. I didn't realize how much work it was going to be, but after now my fourth week of doing trivia out at the feed, uh, Table and Tavern on Main Street in downtown Chattanooga, one of the best bars and taverns in the city. Um, After doing it four times now for a month, I have finally figured out what I'm doing. So uh, I have not pushed it much. I've mentioned it on this show just a few times just kind of to give you the 
explanation as to why the show was being delayed un- until Thursday, which I still am very disappointed about because I still do believe that Wednesday is the best day to do it. But right now, that's just not going to be possible. But So I haven't done a lot of social media push. I don't know if the owners and the management of the bar are kind of wondering, hey, dude, you plan on telling anybody or trying to beef up the crowd out here? That's kind of what we're paying you for. I haven't had an opportunity to stop and talk to anybody about it. I I, I, I run in there on Tuesdays at about 7.35, 7.45. I set everything up. I get the show going. I do it in two hours, and I hit the bricks, and I'm out of there, and I head back to the house, and I rarely even stop to have a chit-chat with anybody. But I would my explanation for that is, is I didn't want to invite people or encourage people to come out to something that very well might not go that well. First week, I had no idea what was going on with the PA system. Half the bar couldn't hear me. It was very frustrating, and I don't know if it was out of just intrigue to see who the new guy was going to be. I had 15 teams that day. That's a lot of damn teams. That's a lot of stuff to keep up with on your first day. Also, while the audio isn't working, that was a freaking nightmare. The second week was a little bit better. Well, it was considerably better, but it still kind of sucked. The third week, I finally kind of figured out, got my traction a little bit, and then by this past week, it went pretty well. So if you do live team trivia, I do suggest you go out to the feed, and if you don't, go to the feed on Tuesdays. I suggest you go there any other time you're in downtown. It truly is one of the best bars in the city. High class without being too high end. It's come as you are. Great menu, great bar selection, great beer tap selection. They can mix you up some of the best drinks you've got. They've got a strong, stable staff that has mostly been there, uh, at least the ones you can see running around on the floor. They've been Most of them have been there for the last year or two years, something like that. Same management, same ownership. It's a great place. It really is, and I'm not just saying that. That's part of the reason for wanting to do it because it's such – just a high-end uh, it's a high-end crowd it's good people so feed company table and tavern enough of that let's see what's going on um this past weekend another crazy thing i did was uh, for a little bit of compensation not much but uh, a little bit i emceed the st patty's on the parkway over at the honest pint that was a success in the sense that there was a lot of people the weather was great and the music was great a lot of um, a lot of little mini fires all around the place to be put out throughout the afternoon. I didn't really have to deal with those as much. I just had to make sure everybody got on and off the stage in a timely manner. And overall, that seemed to be pretty good. The problem was, is I was there from 2 p.m. until 12:30 that night uh, into the next day. And you know that sounds like a long time, um, but I kind of thought, yeah, it's no big deal. I didn't get anything going on that day anyway. Well, until you actually do it for that length of time. That gets tiresome, and I so I decided not to drink more than just a couple of beers throughout the day, which I believe was an excellent decision on my part, and it was uh, it was a little annoying. These drinking for the sake of drinking holidays, I've never been too big of a fan of. I've never gone out on St. Patrick's Day. I've almost never gone out on Cinco de Mayo, and if it wasn't a widespread panic show, I haven't done anything on New Year's Eve of note either. So if it's just a holiday for the pure fact the pure end result goal is that everybody within sight and sound is just getting as drunk as possible. That's not a whole lot of fun to me. So after the evening started to roll along into the night, and I feel I felt the place that just turning into a drunk tank while I stayed sober, it was a little annoying. But overall, great event, and I want to thank Stratton Tingle for asking me to do it. And again, I was compensated a little bit, so you know I'll take uh, whatever I can get. Real quick before I get to the first segment, this is kind of an easy breezy show. I don't have anything real hard hitting. I'm not going to do a stone's throw segment technically. I'm going to do just a second shorter segment. And it's this story of a short story, won't be long, 
of John Tyler. You might have saw this. It was circulating in the last three weeks to a month or so. Our 10th president, John Tyler, and how he has not one, but two grandsons that are still alive. John Tyler was the 10th president of the United States of America. 10th. We're on 45 now, and he has grandsons that are still alive. Not great-great-grandsons, not great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, third-generation grandsons. I'll talk about that in the second segment. In the final segment, it is NCAA tournament season time. It is March Madness, as they call it, and I am going to tell you why paying college athletes is not only a bad idea, it's not practical. It doesn't make any sense because these players don't give you any actual measurable value outside of what they already get, which is tuition, room and board, meals, uh, resources, perks, those kinds of things. That's all they're really worth. There isn't really any measurable value outside of that. And you don't compensate something that doesn't give you a return on investment that's measurable. Get into that into the third segment of the show. But here in the opening segment, I want to talk about the two announcements of this week, music-related and concert show festival-related. One not a big deal at all, technically, but it's a huge deal to me, and one that is a very big deal to the city. Quickly, the one that's not a big deal that I'll talk about more at the end of this segment is Matthew Sweet has been announced to be at JJ's Bohemia on the 24th of May, and you might be thinking, so who the hell's Matthew Sweet? Well, I'll get to that here in a few. But the one that is a big deal that everybody's been buzzing about, that on Tuesday was released, Tuesday, the third week of March. This is being released on the 22nd of March, which is the Thursday, which is the day the tickets go on sale for the Moon River Festival that is coming to Coolidge Park in September. Now, this is a festival that was in Memphis originally for two or three, maybe four years, and kind of Americana roots, maybe a little bit of bluegrass here and there, but more Americana, started by a guy named Drew Holcomb, and he has a band called Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. I had only heard the name before, didn't know anything about him before the festival announced to come move here. So it outgrew its location in Memphis. I don't know any more story than that or any rumor mills about to why it's coming to Chattanooga, but it's coming to Coolidge Park. The announcement of the lineup was this past Tuesday on the 20th, and it is pretty damn good. Now, it depends. If you're not into this kind of music, then you don't think this is that good. I've been getting mixed uh, kind of thoughts on this. Oh, that's boring. That, that's, that looks awesome if you want to take a nap. Listen, I get it. You might not be your thing, but if it is, it's a big deal. The Avid Brothers on the top of the bill. The Head and the Heart is on the secondary uh, headliner. Probably one will be Saturday, one will be Sunday, September 8th and 9th. Uh, Drew Holcomb and his band. Uh, Judah and the Lion is a huge act right now. Trampled by Turtles is all over the festival scene. Margot Price is huge in the kind of alt-country world. I'm not overly familiar, but I can tell based on looking at her following in social media that she's got a, a huge following. Mavis Staples is a rock and roll hall of freaking famer. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm crazy over the moon excited about that, but it's a heck of a, of a, of a land. Uh, I'm with her is making some noise. The Dirty Governors, I could do without them, but they've they've been playing. They played track 29 many times over the years and toured with uh, a, a lot of big acts. The trio that is known as Joseph, it's a female trio called Joseph. We play that over at Alt 98.7. Mandolin Orange, Penny and the Sparrow, and then I don't really know who the rest of these are. The War and Treaty, uh, Secret Sisters, and then a handful of others that are smaller down at the bottom of the list. This is a big deal for Chattanooga. And... I put on social media the other day that um, before the announcement of the, of the lineup, I had a few days head notice on what it was going to be. And I said, you are going to be very happy with this announcement. And finally, this city has an actual real festival. 
And I found out today that a other festival in town that's more like a carnival, more akin to a uh, to to a county fair, uh, caught wind of that comment and were not happy about it and made a phone call to a person or two. And I'm not going to, because of where I work now and because of where I'm at in, in, in my life, I'm not going to go on a rampage about how much that festival sucks and it's going to stay nameless. But uh, <laughs> yeah, your, your, your days are numbered uh, one, as, a, as a long-term, viable, real entertainment option in this city. The days are numbered, and you know who I'm talking about. So this is big for the city. This is big to actually finally have what could be considered a real Music festival. Now, here's what I'm having a little bit of issue with, though, and I hope that it's done right. Chattanooga does seem to have a problem with first-time events. Every time we put on something at the pavilion for the first time, like a whiskey festival or a beer festival or a uh, you know party on the parkway, the first year they had their uh, their issues over at the Honest Pint. Um, I mean, it's just it's going to happen. Every time you do something for the first time, of course, you're going to have issues. But we seem to be awfully consistent on how our first-time events don't go over very well. And I was talking to, from the concession side, concession angle with our, uh, our promotions guy over at the, at the beer warehouse about some of the people he's been talking to and some of the things that hadn't been thought about yet, like one of them being the Walnut Street Bridge. The Walnut Street Bridge, if you don't figure out a way to block it off or make it part of the festival, is just going to put thousands of people watching a concert for free. And I'm not sure anybody within the organization of Moon River Festival and the organizers of, of you know whoever does that kind of stuff downtown for the city. I don't think that conversation was had until just the other day when our when my beer guy said, um, well, what are you going to do about the bridge? You can't just leave it open, but can you close it? I'm not sure that you can. So I don't know what you do about that. So I'm, that, I was afraid that wasn't looked into. And so then I'm talking to my guy who hooks me up with everything in the city, love him to death, but he's considerably older than me, and, and, and we all show our age the older we get. And he was like, well, what they, you know, it's going to be tough trying to get everybody to get in there with their chairs and you know, get parking. I get, you know, they're probably going to have to make the bridge a, a VIP uh, uh, you know, area or something. I was like, er, er, slam on the brakes, slam on the brakes, beep, beep, back it up, time out, throw in the flag, stop it. You're thinking Chattanooga already. You're already trying to help turn something that's not like Chattanooga into Chattanooga. When your first thing you're concerned about is turning one of our iconic areas into a VIP area, when it very easily could be a perfectly uh, regular GA emission kind of addition to the festival, you're already trying to figure out a way to block that off and make it a VIP area and the best way for everybody to get their chairs in. This isn't the other festival that shall remain nameless at this time. We're not concerned about how easy it is or isn't to get chairs into the damn festival. That's not what a real festival is. And they showed me a picture. Well, hey, look, this is uh, from the years past when they have chairs. I said, dude, I'm not saying there can't be chairs involved, but that shouldn't be anywhere near a talking point at this point. <laughs> We're not having a carnival. We're not having a county fair. Now, I hope not anyway. I'm not an organizer. I'm not an event planner. But focusing on VIP and how old people can set up their chairs in a, in a timely manner is not the way you set up a real music festival. And I really, really hope that that's not what is taking place in the early stages. A real music festival is good sight lines, good stage setup, good sound management, and the, and, and the user experience for the general admission patron getting the most for their money. They are spending a lot of money. This is this is not a $40 ticket. $40 buys you junk. 
100 to $140 buys you an expectation that you're going to have good sight lines, easy access to concessions, easy access in and out, and an overall good time. Now, here's another one of those Chattanooga things from this coming from a from the distributor side of, of concessions. He's concerned they want to do $7 beers. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if Chattanooga. Again, stop thinking Chattanooga. Real music festivals have $7 beers. Hell, I've been to many of them that are $9 and $10 beers. $7 beers is fine. Well, we want to work in volume. I, I, I get it. That's just how it goes. I don't know. I'm not a business major on this. Again, I'm not, I'm not a, a, an expert. What I am an expert as is attending these, attending these events. I've been to more of them than most likely anybody listening to this podcast right now. And anybody in the, in the planning meetings of the, from the beer distributors and, and the city planners, I've been to more than they have. That doesn't make me cool or, or anything like that. It just, it's just a fact. And so I understand from a user's perspective, and I've been every kind of access you can be to music festivals. I've been super high-end VIP. I've been barely getting the door general mission. I've been jumped the fence, bootlegged my way in, and I've been in with different variant access. I know how you're supposed to handle these things and worrying about some random VIP. And there's VIP at every festival. I get it. That's something you, you deal with. But when your first thoughts are, how do we get this VIP set up? How do we push out the general folks? How do we reward Chattanoogans, you know, higher end mountain types? How do we make sure everybody can be comfortable with their chair setups and worry about how much a beer is going to cost? You're focusing on the wrong things, focusing on all the wrong things. Here's what you need to do to make this festival good, at least from the startup, from my perspective, without much insight. I believe you take the, the Walnut Street Bridge and you make it one of the main entrances into the park. Now, I know it drops you off there right on the street almost, but you can, you can kind of gate that off to where it comes around and down the side and where you walk in and you will come in on the other side, the south end of the, of the shore, of the river. You make the entrance to the Walnut Street Bridge this massive, you know, big signage, and a big easy uh, sight lines to tell which lines are for which, and then you come in through there. That way, you you push parking to the other side of the river. You don't want a lot of parking on the North Shore. There's not much parking over there. People keep also, where's everybody going to park? Oh, my God, how are we going to do this? Where the hell does everybody park for that other festival that goes nameless? They say that uh, 90,000 people come down a night. Where do they park? You park in the same place they would have. Work, it'll work out just fine. You park over there. That encourages them to come across the bridge. You also have entrance points on the North Shore, one on either side, one closer towards the Riverview side, and then one on the you know the the, the Renaissance Park side. You, so you have three entrance points, and that way you can you not you don't evenly distri uh, distribute how the the crowd flow goes, but you at least have three options, and one of the main one being the bridge. Now, how you get in there and you and you and you barricade off what is and isn't. The actual festival site, I can't really speak to that without walking around and looking at it with my eyes. I know the pavilions and the carousels, those actually take up a lot of space and uh, mess with spot, uh, uh, sight lines a little bit. So I'd have to see that more. I, I hope that they focus on the user experience for the general attendee, for the, for the general admission patron music festival goer at a premium price. I hope that they focus on that and not making sure they have some great catered VIP section, which they will, and that's fine. That's fine. I like VIP. I get it pretty regularly, as a matter of fact. But just focus. Be a real festival. Damn it, for once can we just have a real festival? That's all I'm asking for. 
I travel for this stuff all the time. I, I don't know exactly how to plan it, but I know it's like hell when I find one that's good, and I sure as hell know one when it sucks, like the one that remains nameless. <laughs> right. I guess that was almost like stone's throw there. All I'm asking, all I'm asking is that the, the Walnut Street Bridge does not become some kind of VIP, high-end, exclusive yuppity types viewing area. Please, Moon River Festival, if you're listening, do not make the Walnut Street Bridge a VIP area. You will ruin this idea before it even starts. Utilize that incredible bridge as an entry point for the general admission ticketed patron. You've got countless places where you can set up exclusive VIP lounges and viewing areas down inside the park. Do not take the Walnut Street Bridge and turn it into some kind of VIP party, then all you're doing is the same thing that that other nameless festival does is cater to all the sponsors and all the deep pocket types, when in reality, a gathering like this, a contemporary music festival for the 21st century, relies on a higher-end ticket price and the general admission patrons. Take their user experience seriously and cater to your general admission. That's where you'll find success and longevity. Okay, so the other announcement this week was Matthew Sweet is going to be at JJ's Bohemian. This is kind of like when uh, the Meat Puppets were at JJ's about five or six years ago. And I was out of town and I missed that. It's just one of those, I just kind of out of nowhere, you would never expect. He's doing some small club shows and John over at JJ's somehow put, booked this. Um, he is not an act that anybody's ever heard of anymore, but in the 1990s, he was kind of, he was the pop rock, I don't want to call pioneer of the late 90s, kind of like what started, what, where, where Jim Blossoms took it and made millions. He kind of started that movement in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, kind of the same with the grunge movement was taking place over here. Well, way over there, there was kind of the pop rock movement that would eventually be the Spin Doctors and the Gin Blossoms and kind of what the Counting Crows did a little bit and some of those bands like that. And so it wasn't quite my speed all that much at that young of an age because I was a grunger through and through, but there was one or two songs that caught my ear, so I'm going to play a couple of them just so you can hear what uh, kind of what this stuff sounds like. So this one is from an album that came out. It was a compilation called No Alternative. came out, I think, in 1993, and it was one incredible uh, um, music compilation CD. It was for AIDS awareness, uh, something like that. Let me see. I'll pull it up here on the computer real quick. It was... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where the hell is it? Uh, Red Hot AIDS Benefit Series. On this on this compilation, there was Buffalo Tom, Soul Asylum, Urge Overkill, American Music Club, Goo Goo Dolls, Smashing Pumpkins, Pavement, Bob Mould, uh, Sarah McLaughlin, Soundgarden, uh, Uncle Tupelo, Beastie Boys, The Breeders, Patti Smith, uh, Matthew Sweet was the opening track on the album. And having no attention span at that age, I never, I don't know that I ever made it through the album, but the very first song was a song called Super Deformed, which I absolutely, to this day, still love. Sorry if this sounds a little clunky. My damn iPad needs some updates. It's so old, I can't fire off my audio from there, so I'm having to use my damn computer. And that's not it! Damn it! <laughs> I'm having to use uh, my computer, and that's why this is totally clunky and junky. Here we go. So this is called Super Deformed from the No Alternative album, Matthew Sweet, 1993. Have you ever heard of it? Probably not. But it's it's about as most rocking as he gets, and that's why I liked it so much back then.
killer video too. Lots of it's HIV awareness kind of thing. Obviously a big deal back then. Yes, still a big deal now. So that was rocking, but his other stuff was nowhere near that rocking. And of course, at that age, you got to be cool and you got to listen to the the quote unquote cool stuff. So a lot of things that I dubbed as being kind of lame and stupid and not good back in those days actually truly were. A guy named um, Richard Lloyd. This is another angle to this that makes this that much cooler that he's coming to town. Richard Lloyd is a guy from a, an old uh, 80s punk band called Television. He's been a sessions music, a recording sessions guy, played with lots of different bands. He actually played with Matthew Sweet on many of these albums, and most of the, the loud screeching electric guitars you hear is Richard Lloyd. Well, Richard Lloyd moved to Chattanooga a couple years ago, and he played at nightfall after he moved here. You might remember hearing about the guy that just moved here from some 80s band. That's Richard Lloyd. So surely Richard Lloyd's going to show up and play on some of these songs. I don't know. We'll find out soon enough. So this is the song that made him popular, at least in a college radio format kind of thing in the night in like I think it was 1991. Songs called Girlfriend from the album called Girlfriend. And I was 11 when this came out. So I, I don't remember this at all when it came out. I just remember listening to it later on. And this wouldn't have been my speed in the 1990s at all. This is Matthew Sweet and Girlfriend. almost kind of taking that old that that rem sound and adding a little bit of a more contemporary rock sound to it in the early 90s because you need Such a cool song, and man, I am so excited about this show at JJ's. It's May 24th, Matthew Sweet. I don't know how old he would be at this point. He's probably in his early to mid-20s in the early 1990s. I don't even feel like trying to do that math at this point. So in 1995, he put out an album called 100, 100% Fun. Got a big media push, was on all the late night shows. You can go find them all on YouTube. Back when Jon Stewart had the MTV show, he was on there. He was on with Letterman. He was on with Leno. The whole rounds. It was kind of like that. It had built up from his debut in the late 80s and early 90s, and then that compilation album, and then this is it, right? This is 1995. Grunge is still there, but that popular sound is starting to take over, and this was his last chance 
probably is the way they looked at it from that standpoint that if it, if it doesn't go here we're never going to make it this one is called sick of myself if you recognize anything this is the only one you're going to recognize and it is a great song but i can only imagine in 1995 me thinking what a pussy this guy is see it's got that gym blossom sound right when that music was starting to change at that time Such a good song. Can't you see a the cast member of the show Friends listening to this? It being in the background in a montage. So I am as excited as I could be for this show. Uh, JJ's, if you've never been, is a little room. It is very small. It is very charming, and it's had a lot of memories there because I, I've been going there. It's, hell, it's been in business going on 15 years now, maybe closer to 12 or 13. I, I maybe it was just a 10 year the other day, the other year. But anyway, when I was you know in my early to mid 20s was when the place opened, and we were there, me and my contemporaries quite often. So even if the place is not exactly the the, the best fit for music. It is a really fun, uh, a fun place, and to, to be able to see an act like this that is that has so much memories uh, to me has, has got me really, really excited. So, it, what the place holds, like I don't know. I mean, because it's got an outdoor area where everybody goes and smokes pot in the back. I guess. Oh wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. I'm sorry. I mean, they smoke cigarettes and uh, tell stories. <laughs> uh, it holds. I don't know. Can they sell more than 200 tickets there? I I don't know. I I kind of hope not. We'll see though. Twenty bucks a piece after they charge you on the event bright or event page, whatever it is. It's more like twenty three dollars. I put on Facebook and I meant it. I'd pay fifty bucks to go see this show. May twenty fourth. It is a uh, Thursday. Eight o'clock is what it says on the start. Hopefully, it does mean an actually earlier start because JJ's is well known for having very, very, very late, late, late nights. Hopefully, uh, Matthew Sweet is not interested in playing till 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. Hopefully, he's interested in getting it done and uh, getting the hell out of town as quick as possible. And hopefully, Richard Lloyd, local guy from television, will stop by and play as well. Going to try my best, and John's been good about this, to uh, set up the mobile studios and get an interview with Matthew Sweet that week or that day as well. So that is certainly in the works and something I am even more excited about. More on that coming soon. Quick break, not a normal segment here. I'm not going to do a stone's throw because I don't know why. I just didn't feel like it. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the whole segment itself has run its course. Maybe I should change up the flow of the show. I'm not exactly sure. I'm running way late later on this segment than I planned. Coming up next, John Tyler was born in 1790. 1790! And he has grandchildren that are still alive. What? I'll tell you about that next on the Stone on Air podcast. It is the weekly dose for May 22nd. 2018. 
Air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. Welcome back to the Stone On Air podcast, a weekly dose for March 22nd. Rest of the music in and out of breaks. The rest of the way will be music from the Moon River Festival. But I had to do a little Matthew Sweet one more time. And part of the reason I'm really liking doing this trivia gig is because... It's, it's making me search out questions and answers. Questions and answers. Digging up things I would have normally come up with. Getting historical perspective I might not have run into because I'm poking around in so many places online trying to come up with interesting trivia questions. Now, knowing good trivia questions and knowing you know and being able to put them together doesn't mean you're smart or uh, or anything. It just means you've got a bank of, of knowledge if you're able to do it well as far as answer the questions is concerned. It's trivia, trivial. It doesn't really matter. It's not all that important. Some people are better at it than others. I'm not actually all that good at it from a grand scheme thing, but I do know what it, it a good trivia question is. And presidential questions are some of the best I've, for me. Fascinating, I should say. Some of the most fascinating because it's just I've always been kind of overly interested slash fascination with the office of the presidency of the United States. And I think that's why some people who are more like me and, 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 and kind of gotten just, you know, over it is right now is where we're at politically. And it just, it doesn't even really bother me anymore because I don't know, but, but the main thing that does bother me is the way that the, the current administration is, is that I've, I've always held the office pretty sacred and and when i was young and and awfully naive i was kind of a an asshole about about president bush but there was a lot of things going on with the war and all those things and i was young and wanting to be like i you know rebellious about things but it didn't take long and 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 really towards the end of his presidency i didn't hate the guy and i don't hate the guy at all i i I highly admire george w bush as a matter of fact and 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 all presidents i just you can there's so much it's so much rich, interesting history behind almost every single person that's ever done it. And you can say the exact same thing about the, the current administration, the current president now. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story in a different way. It's a story that I never thought we would have to tell about somebody in that position. But So when I stumbled across this, I'm sure this has come up around President's Day uh, many, many times over the years. Uh, I was thought this was quite fascinating. So John Tyler was our 10th president. He was born in 1790, just after George Washington was sworn in as president of the United States. And nearly 175 years later, two of his grandchildren are still alive. Third generation grandchildren are still alive. Mathematically, how the hell could this even be possible? Quickly, who is John Tyler? He was the 10th president of the United States serving from 1841 to 1845 after briefly being the 10th vice president. He was elected to the latter office on the 1840 Whig ticket with President William Henry Harrison. Of course, back then, you didn't pick your vice presidents. They also ran for vice president. 
Tyler ascended to the presidency after Harrison's death in April of 1841, only a month after the start of the new administration. He was a supporter of states' rights, and as president, he adopted nationalist policies only when they did not infringe on the powers of the states. His unexpected rise to the presidency with the resulting threat to the presidential ambitions of Henry Clay and other politicians, it left him estranged from both major political parties. So that's just briefly who John Tyler was. So what's the deal with this grandson and how mathematically, and there's two of them actually, how mathematically can this be true? So this is from CBSNews.com. Harrison Ruffin Tyler is 89 years old. is one of the two living grandsons of President John Tyler, who was born in 1790, one year after George Washington was sworn in as president. Just three generations, President Tyler, his son Lion Tyler, and grandson Harrison spanned almost the entire history of the United States. They talk about the meeting with Harrison. There's two of them, but they only focus on the one. His name's Harrison. So here's how it happened. John Tyler became president in 1841. He had eight children with his first wife who died in office. At the age of 52, John Tyler married a 22-year-old named Julia. They had seven more children for a total of 15, which here's a trivia note, the most children by any American president. He was 63 years old when his son, Lion Tyler, was born, whose first wife also died. Lion also had a very young second wife and was 75 years old when Harrison Tyler was born in 1928. So I just I jotted it down. So it starts here. 1790. John Tyler is born. He's 63 years old when Lion Tyler is born in 1853 that's before the freaking civil war so lion tyler's born in 1853 75 years later lion tyler has a son at the age of 75 years old that son harrison was born in 1928 and if you do the math 1928 to 2018 that means that harrison tyler the first grandson to the 10th president of the united states john tyler will turn 90 years old this year. Does that mean anything? Is that overly important? Nah, of course it's not. But I sure thought it was pretty darn interesting. And I keep I keep running into things I wouldn't normally find. So that's par- partially why I will do this trivia gig for as long as I can. The main gig is it pays pretty good. That's the main reason. But on top of that, there's other perks to it as well. So on the way out here, this is the head and the heart. They will be one of the main headliners for the Moon River Festival coming September 8th and 9th. Tickets are on sale, likely now. This show comes out very early in the morning on Thursday the 22nd. They go on sale at 10 a.m. Thursday the 22nd. So unless you just woke up and listened to it immediately, everybody else, tickets are available. Go to moonriverfestival.com. All right, so it's March. It's the NCAA tournament. It's March Madness, and we got to go through this every year. Every time these brackets get filled out, and everybody gets all excited for whatever reason you get excited for, that there's different reasons to do it. I'll get into that more in the next segment. Got to talk about how much money the tournament makes, how much money all the TV channels make, how much money all the announcers make, how much money all the coaches make, how much money all the con- the stadiums and the venues make, and how poor, poor, poor children, poor, poor kids that play the game don't get paid anything. And it's a dumb argument, and it comes up every single year, and there's there's dumb arguments for it and there's dumb arguments against it 
I've got the best argument, and I'll tell you what that is next. You don't pay the players. It doesn't make any sense, and I'll tell you exactly why coming up next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com. Jacobs to Drew for the win. Gone. Oh! He did it. Bryce Drew did it. Falpo has won the game. A miracle. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes. Going to go length to the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. Up. Forrest shot. Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel. Razelton's got it. End to end, he'll come. Leaves it for Rogers for three. For the win. This is Judah and the Lion. Apparently have played several of these Moon River festivals in Memphis, and they'll be at this year's lineup in Chattanooga as well, along with the Avett Brothers, the Head and the Heart, Mavis Staples, many more. Beginning was just a mashup of random winning shots from the NCAA tournament over the years. I've always been a pretty big fan, in my adult life anyway, of Americana music. Not usually down for an entire festival full of it. Like, I wouldn't travel for the Moon River Festival. But being right here in the backyard, I'm excited. And the Avett Brothers, I don't care what you say, is a huge act. Um, I had a few people kind of like, man, they're not really that big. You know, know, if Mumford & Sons were there, then that'd be something. Dude, they basically, they're the American Mumford & Sons. I mean, they are the American version of Mumford & Sons. I would say Mumford & Sons is probably a touch more popular, maybe made a little bit more money, but I wouldn't say a whole lot more now. Avitz is a huge grab, so I am really, really excited. And and going back from the first kind of mini rants in the segment earlier that I just hope it just gets handled right, and and then Chattanooga doesn't go and just screw it up. Hopefully Chattanooga can just stop being Chattanooga for a minute. And a Chattanooga event can just not be like itself and can think outside of a box and do things a little bit different. So the NCAA tournament is uh, tonight. This is the 22nd is the start of the Sweet 16. And this is where I start to kind of check out. I'll still watch some games. I'll check some scores. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep up with it like I do everything else. But I don't follow it like I do the first four days of the tournament. And everybody watches this thing for different reasons. And, and whatever your reason it is, that's fine. I don't have a, any commentary on that either way. I, I could if I wanted to, but I don't care. Watch it for whatever you want. Bet on every game. Fill out an office pool. 
uh, do a uh, an eliminator, you know, whatever you want to do. Have fun with it. I genuinely love the first four days of the tournament because it is it's the most authentic sporting event over the course of four days that you can ever see. There's so many different variations of sporting events and so many different things that influence how they're played and who's involved and who makes the decisions for who gets to go. Other than they do have a selection committee and a few people feel like they got left out. Overall, when you're talking 64, 68 teams, it's technically 68 one or two people not getting in, and I'm not. It's falling on deaf ears on my end. That's a huge sample size. That's giving the little guy, the big guy, the middle sized guy. You're all getting an opportunity. You're all getting a fair shot. And if anything, the way, especially where we've gotten these days in an overall social environment, you sure you should be able to get on board with that. An, an event that lets every single person have the same equal shot. Nobody has the deck stacked against them. If you're a 16 playing a one, it's because you've earned where you're at in your 16 rank and you've earned where you're at in your one rank. You didn't unfairly get put anywhere. That is an earned achievement. And everybody generally is understandably that and cool with that. So it's it's just so much fun to watch these games all day long for four straight days and watch kids who you had never heard of before who will go professional in something other than sports, will likely be in the community of the city that they live in and the, and the school that they, that they attend. Th- these are real people. These are identifiable people and identifiable stories and it's just so much fun. And every year I fill out a stupid office bracket pool and everybody's like, hey, so how you doing over there? I don't know, dude. That If I picked Virginia, because Virginia was the number one seed, they got beat by the 16 seed, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. First time it's ever happened, if you didn't know. And so a pretty historic win. And then they immediately lost their next game. The UMBC did. But if I had picked Virginia in some kind of office pool or some kind of bet or some kind of whatever, and I was sitting there watching that game, there ain't a chance in hell I'd be pulling for Virginia. Because I don't root for a piece of paper that I wrote a name down on. I root for real stories and genuine people. And watching a 16 seed beat a one, I mean, it gives me chills. It is incredible. And watching the way these teams pour their hearts into the way they play and leaving it all out there. Because most of these these mid-majors teams, they have a lot of juniors and seniors. Most of these guys, or I'd say a lot of these guys, let's say maybe in the neighborhood of 50% of them out there, are playing their last game ever. Their last game ever. There is no next level. The next level is get a job, son. Hope you made some contacts at the frat or while you were in school because it's time to go get a real job after you get done with this game. So that element to it, that that human element, just really, I'm sentimental to it. I love it. So anyway. The main reason for bringing all this up is that every year that there's several different times throughout the year, but this being one of them where the narrative comes back in of, well, this thing makes so much money. This tournament makes billions. These coaches make millions. These networks makes hundreds of millions. And these players don't make anything. To be able to be compensated for something that you're doing, you have to establish value. And the reason that players will never get paid, not in the setting that we have it right now, not in the way that college basketball and college athletics is right now. They'll never get paid because they don't actually establish any real measurable value. We can say, what do you mean? They, they play the games. They, that's where all the value is. No, no, no. That's not where all the value is. Before I get to that, let me back up. Here in America, I was raised this way a little bit through portions of my family and my upbringing. I used to think this way, too, and I got over it after I got older and realized it's kind of a stupid, you know, stupid way of, of having a perspective on things. We tend to have this 
Nobody should be able to make that amount of money. Nobody should ever need to make that kind of money. Like, oh man, nobody needs $10 million. Nobody should drive a car that nice. Nobody should, nobody should live in a house that big. And that's pretty prevalent in, in American culture. In, in middle-class American culture, you get that a lot. And I was around that a lot my, in my life growing up. And I felt that way, too. It's like, what the hell? Why would, they, you, why would you do that? Why would you get that? Well, the answer is because it can. And when you really start to look at college sports, we'll look at college basketball in particular, and college football, too, because they're really the only two that make any money. And they really, it's only college football that makes the money year-round. Is it where's the value of these programs? Where's the value of these schools? Well, the value is is in the coaching. It's in the professionals. It's in the administration that puts these, these staffs and these administrations together. To be able to gather talent consistently on the field, have somewhat decent graduation rates and success in your competition on the field takes a major talent. Nobody you know can do it well because it's one of the harder things to do in the world. That's why the good coaches that stick around Make five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. You can make an argument that Nick Saban is grossly underpaid. What does he make? Like eight or nine million? Hell, 10, 12, 13 million? That's not enough. <laughs> he should get paid more than that. He's one of the best of all time. He provides all the value. He goes and finds the kids to play in these programs and to succeed. And that's where all the value is. Yes, the kids play the game, but without the structure, without the administration, without the staff, there, there would just be kids throwing a ball around in a field and nobody would be watching. It wouldn't be worth anything. Same thing with this basketball tournament. Oh, they make billions and the kids don't make anything. Without this tournament making billions and having a third of the country watching it for four straight days every March, these are just kids playing basketball that don't offer any value. Yeah, every now and again, there's a handful of players that are scattered amongst a few teams. They're going to go to the NBA and eventually make you know $50 million. Good for you. That is the outlier. Most everybody playing on all these 68 teams are a bunch of kids that will never play professional basketball. I would just, I'm throwing out, making up numbers. I bet 80% of everybody playing in that tournament never plays professional basketball. Why? Because they're not that good. They're not that good. But because of excellent coaching, excellent recruiting, and, and excellent administrations, and a billion-dollar industry, they're able to be assembled in a way that can put them in a position to succeed and to create lifelong memories, and to and to character build, and to educate young men on how life can be, winning and losing, and how you deal with it. This, in the end, is still just a class of college, right? This is just an extension of their education. So we, we look at people and we think, oh, they make billions, that's not fair, we got to give somebody else some money, and then we also look at it because we've devalued education. Because every old asshole walking around goes and gets a student loan and is in debt for the rest of their lives and has a job that they hate. And so now they're disgruntled and they're bitter. And, and so it's just this endless cycle of, well, why don't they get paid? They don't get paid because they're not worth anything. They're not worth anything. They are worth what they're, what they're given, which is an education and, a, and a put in a position to succeed and be given a, a trampoline jumping board into life exploitation you always you just keep hearing about exploitation oh these kids are just being exploited by the ncaa now i, I hate the ncaa too we can have that in another podcast too but no, nobody's exploiting these kids is everybody taking advantage of the situation to, to make it most profitable of course but this is an exploitation they're giving free rides to college they have to work hard no no doubt 
They have to work their asses off. But we're talking about some of the best in the country slash basically the world who get to participate in this. Any one of us walking around would do anything to be put in a position to where we have our college paid for, have all the resources that every normal jackass walking around like you and me don't get without having to fight, claw, and pay for. Every resource in any department of any level of education, the sporting department, the history department, the mathematics department, wherever, you get every resource to, to be as successful as you want. You don't have to pay for college. Now, if you all the stuff that comes with as far as jerseys and likeness, what the hell is that called? Likeness, all that stuff. That's not the point of this conversation. I get that. That's dumb. Those are bad rules. I'm just talking about putting kids on a payroll to play, to play sports. When you do that, you've created a minor league sporting event. And you know what America's proven they don't care about? Minor league sports. Minor league sports are to go take the kids and eat cotton candy. And everybody around there makes, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year. Nothing big and important and bold is happening in those settings. So if you want to go create a minor league basketball league, go right ahead. But that's not worth billions. That's not worth millions. That's not worth much at all. This right here, the, the, the pageantry of college sports is worth billions and millions and tens of millions, depending on what level you're in. And without all the people making the money and making that excitement and making that interest a thing, those players aren't worth any more with billions of dollars being spent as they were being $35,000, $45,000 being spent. Most of them are interchangeable. Most of them are not very good. It's true in all the college football teams. Every one of the major colleges has a couple of players that are going to go pro. A couple of three or four maybe a year. Everybody else on that 53, 75, whatever it is, man roster, every one of those kids aren't any good. And they're not going to play professional ball. And they're not worth anything. Same goes for the diving team. Same goes for the chess club. Same goes for any of these extracurricular activities in higher learning. They don't get compensated because they do not offer any true value. Not any more value than they've already get, been given for the compensation that they are already getting that we've devalued because we don't think getting a free ride to college is any big deal anymore. And would you like to talk about exploitation? Let's talk about exploitation for a minute. How about we poll the, I don't know, tens and twenties of millions of people that collectively make up the $1.1 trillion of student loan debt that's the next big economic bubble to burst and potentially destroy our economy again, all the while realizing that big banks have gotten together with higher education and then have also colluded with the government to guarantee these loans, federally insured loans, given to people who have never proven that they have any intention on having any kind of real life that could potentially pay them back. The large percentage of these kids that take these loans do not end up finishing school. And even if they do generally rack up tens and twenties and thirties and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt, that is now an albatross that financially strangles them for the better part of their youthful adult life. Generally speaking, they are not bankruptable. Most times, they are not refinanceable. It's an absolute scam put together by the government that's doing you a favor and helping you out, right? And the higher education, which is doing you a favor and helping you out, right? And all the while, the big lending banks are making billions. And when it does inevitably melt down and crumble, somebody will bail them out with federal funding. Would you like to talk to me about exploitation? And would you like to make an argument that the poor players don't get paid? You shouldn't because it won't make any sense. Not if you listen to every word I just said.
It's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. And it's just because of the basic, simplistic nature of all this that people will not pay attention to. Just see dollars. It creates envy. It creates jealousy. It creates apathy. And then that's probably another conversation for a whole nother day. But yeah, every now and again, there's a player like a Todd Gurley from Georgia the other year. Or there's a player from Duke or Kentucky that's going to play one year and then go pro and make all kinds of crazy money. The dude from the Pelicans who used to play for Kentucky. What's his name? I can't remember. So yeah, every now and again, it's like, well, yeah, you probably, you know, you're getting a little bit of a screw job here, but you'll be a tens of millionaire within the next year and a half. So also not feeling bad for you either. But this tournament, man, it, bring, it, it brings out the best in people. And watching teams like Loyola Chicago and University of Maryland, Baltimore freaking County. Loyola Chicago, some people have heard of. Nobody's heard of Maryland, Baltimore County. A couple other schools, I can't, they're slipping my mind that have made some runs here recently. Uh, Georgia State a couple years ago with the kid RJ, whatever his last name was, it hit a 45-footer to win the game. Never might have played in the NBA Developmental League. These guys that hit these shots and have these amazing moments that the whole you know quarter of the country goes crazy over, watching every minute of, goosebumping, spine-tingling kind of amazing drama will think about this and remember this for the rest of their damn lives. All those kids that are juniors and seniors on that UMBC team, they will be 75 years old talking about the time that they beat the number one seed, the first team in the history of uh, 75 years of basketball, 100 years of basketball, whatever it is. They'll be telling grandchildren, great-grandchildren, every member on that team, you, th- you want to say poor, poor kids? You think, do you think that they're walking away from this saying, I should get paid for this? No, because they don't actually offer any value. Somebody else could have and eventually would have done that. The value is in the institution, the entire situation, the, what has been built to make all this money turn. And the people who make it happen are the people who deserve the millions and billions. And they're the people who already get it. Without all that, you're just playing basketball. Might as well ch- put a chain around there instead of the, where the hoop is. Just play it down in the playground. Because you're just playing basketball, and you don't really matter that much. But once you put all this together like this, and Incredible Minds have built an amazing event that gives you opportunities of a lifetime to set you up to succeed in life at your most formative and impressionable years, there's not a damn thing exploitative about that at all. That's an incredible opportunity that any one of us would do anything to have the opportunity to experience so no you don't pay the players they don't offer any real measurable dollar amount value Whew. all right damn i'm at like an hour <laughs> this show gets longer and longer every day i'm gonna get on out this is the avid brothers headliners of the moon i would keep wanting to say new moon river festival I, I mean, it is the new, but I keep wanting to put it like it's part of the title. The Moon River Festival, September 8th and 9th. I'm out of here. Stone on air on all social media. Stone on air at gmail.com if you want to hit me a line that way. And uh, be uh, be cool to each other. Enjoy your weekend. And I'll do it again next weekend. Unfortunately, it looks like it's be Thursday from this point forward. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to get my life in order from a professional standpoint. Uh, good news is the, ca- the checks are cashing and the money's flowing back in. I went for a stretch there for about a year, maybe a a little over a year, where I was really starting to feel the pinch, and I've made up for all that, and I am really, really thankful and really, really happy 
and uh, I appreciate you guys more than you'll know because without uh, without people caring about what I'm doing, then people aren't going to pay me to do things. And uh, so there you go. So we'll see you on Tuesdays at the feed. We'll see you on the radio Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on Alt 98.7. And we'll see you back here at the podcast once a week at the midweek download destination. This is March 22nd, 2018, the weekly dose. Do not be a fraud. The truth is easy to remember. Hashtag white lies, black lies. All Just don't lie. Don't be a liar. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there or here or something like that. We'll see you. Bye. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there.